everyone. So uh, another solo episode this week because of some uh, scheduling issues. And sorry about the missed last week. Uh, it has been uh, editing time for my book. Uh, so, you know, you'll hear a lot more about that when it comes a little closer. Um, really looking forward to everyone being able to read that. I've been working really hard on it. And uh, I think you're going to like it. Um, but that's not really what we're here for now. Uh, what we're here for now. So I was, I've been re-listening to, um, well, not re-listening to, I've been visiting these, uh, podcasts by my friend, uh, Sean McTiernan, who has been on the show a couple of times and actually inspired the last solo episode as well, um, with his suggestion of, uh, the sluts by Dennis Cooper. Um, but, uh, I've been, uh, going back and listening to his, uh, podcast that he released. It was a daily podcast he released in, uh, the month of October last year. Uh, called uh, Hundreds of Pixelated Dead Bodies. And so the idea was he would cover a found footage film uh, per day in order to uh, uh, get a feel for what the uh, genre was about. Um, now, I promised Sean I will not uh, <laughs> go off on some sort of uh, Jeremiah or not a, not a, the good version of a Jeremiah on uh, this podcast, but I think it's really good. I think you should listen to it. Um, but one of the things uh, that he mentioned in his episode on – actually, I'm going to figure out the name for this episode. There's a lot of movies I'd never heard of on this, and I've, I've, I haven't watched all of them yet. Uh, I've been listening to some of the stuff that he suggested. It's all been quite good. So if you uh, are a movie fan, uh, definitely um, this stuff aligns with my taste for better or for worse uh, for you, the listener. Uh, but the movie was called Psychic Vision, Jagan Rai, um, and it was a – it's a film – uh, by, let's see who the director is, I want to get the name right, um, a, a Japanese director uh, who has been um, kind of cited as a, as a um, this film in particular, uh, has been cited as an uh, influence on a lot of uh, later Japanese um, work. Um, boy, come on. Uh, Psychic Vision, <laughs> Jagan, oh, wait, I almost got it there. There it is. Jagan Rai. Um, uh, Teriyoshi Ishii. Um, so, uh, really good, uh, sounding pretty interesting. Apparently on YouTube, uh, Jagen Rai is spelled J-A-G-E-N-R-E-I. Um, yeah, apparently on YouTube, but without subtitles. And the without subtitles thing is a really important part. Um, because Sean sort of brings up this really interesting point, right? At the beginning of talking about this episode and, and here, uh, Sean, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And I will stop talking about, you now, uh, which I'm sure I would be, uh, very mortified if someone did this for me, but it is good stuff. So I have to use my in inspirations where they come. Um, but, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave off at this point, but after saying Sean brings up this really interesting question of, you know, does the, does the object on YouTube of psychic vision, Jagan Rai, um, does that sort of occupy some sort of like different, fetishized space because it is sort of like not easily understood by an English-speaking audience, right? Like if you don't speak Japanese, you're not going to be able to understand this. Not even non-English-speaking, just a non-Japanese-speaking English, right? Uh, Non-Japanese-speaking audience, right? So, you know, uh, the, the idea being, you know, people will say it's scarier because you don't know what's going on or it's, it's um, there's something freaky or like alienating about it because all you can see is the action and you don't know what's happening. And of course, there's also this, um, excuse me, second layer of, um, you know, wondering whether or not this kind of fetishization of Japanese-ness, um, uh, the, the sort of like uh, fetish that's come from, uh, and I, I mean fetish in the sort of like um, 
uh, object of intense fascination, not necessarily sexualized way, um, of like, you know, anime, manga, um, Japanese horror, things coming from Japan, the sort of like birth of the American otaku, uh, all this stuff, right? Like nothing new, nothing, nothing particularly new stuff that you could probably get more interesting thoughts on from, from piss on the, uh, on the, um, no wall scroll episodes, but, um, something, you know, than me saying it here anyway, but something kind of interesting, right? Like, is this movie actually, do we have this sort of inclination of believing that a, a non-translated, a non sort of like conveyed piece uh, counts as more or sort of like exists as more or matters more or, or resonates with us more than something that we could understand as the author would intend. Um, and is that sort of like, are we being like weirdo, uh, like, you know, neo-colonial uh, people by saying like, or neo-colonizers saying like, oh, the the clever Japanese has made a film. Like, uh, we, we can't understand it, but it sure is fascinating to know what goes through the mind. You know, that's the fear, right? But I don't necessarily know if that's what's going on when we sort of say, like, you know, I hope the story in here is sort of like the, the the phrase that's been knocking around in my head, like looking at a game, right, looking at screenshots of a game, looking at uh, images of a game and seeing the the world laid out in front of you. And then this question of like, well, I hope the story when it's translated or when it's released lives up to this. Right. This question of will this live up to the image I've been given? And I think this is ultimately, I mean, so let me say straight out, for some people, this is totally racism and totally sort of xenophobia. <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, for some people, it is a matter of like, oh, I like it when I can understand um, these these goofy people's plots and get to watch all the crazy images. Um, and I think that happens, right? Like, people do infantilize uh, Japanese filmmakers and um, and animators, um, there is the sort of like persistent idea that like, oh, like in Japan, you just buy panties anywhere or whatever, right? Like this idea that they are like some, they are as a culture somehow like uh, essentializable, um, that happens for sure, 100%. And that is part and parcel of like nerd culture and stuff like that. Uh, totally, you know, vile stuff there. Um, not something I'm endorsing or defending in any way. However, I do think the question of like, okay, does, hmm, how to say this, like, does the, does the story necessarily exist as something that will only ever enrich what we're viewing? Let me put it that way, right? Um, if I get more explanation, do I always have to feel like, okay, good, I've gotten the author's intention? Or is it okay to sort of like watch or play or experience something, read something where you don't quite have the author's work and you kind of prefer it that way, right? You don't have the, tra you don't have the translation. Let's, let's be clear. It's not about inaccessibility. It's about translation. You don't have a translation into your own language, whether or not that means um, written, visual, whatever. Um, you don't have a translation and you can't understand the, the sort of like – uh, discursive plot story level of a particular thing. Uh, I'm thinking here about these comics I got when I was in um, Italy uh, that are just like uh, Danger Diabolique comics, right? Um, and uh, and Dylan Dog, uh, just like these these uh, you know uh, comics that are really fun little pulpy comics that are not translated and just like in Italian. I don't, I can't, I can read a little Spanish, which means I can read almost no Italian, but can sort of fake myself into thinking I can. Um, and I love looking through those comics. I love like 
peering through them and kind of like trying to figure out what the story is and stuff. And I'm pretty sure if I had a translation because they're pulp comics and typically like those kinds of quickly produced comics are not the like the most lovingly written that I wouldn't get much more out of it. Like I don't necessarily need to know the dialogue between Diabolique and, and the people he's stealing from. Um, I don't need to know like why Dylan dog is like fighting this demon. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, I like looking at the images and there's a way in which not having the words there to distract me as in say, like I like the Hellblazer comics, but you know, reading the first Hellblazer again is an, is an exercise in like, okay, like how much musing on like, you know, the, uh, the 1980s British rock scene. Can I, can I take from this main character? Um, like if it wasn't there, if the dialogue wasn't there, I think it might be more enjoyable. And I hate to say that because on some level, like I'm a writer, I don't, I should provide, <laughs> I feel like I should, you know, be standing up for the written discursive word. And in some ways, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's of course the opposite, but it'd be sort of more of a, of a, um, an experimental sort of problem, uh, the text without the visual. But I think it's like completely reasonable in some senses to see something and hope you don't get a translation. Now, where does this impulse come from? That's sort of one of the things that I've been toying around with. And I think this is where video games can kind of help us. Because in film, you sort of do get this, this almost um, inexorable problem of the author's intent, right? It, it's very difficult to imagine Psychic Vision Jagan Rai without Ishii's um, actual like intention in there as well because they're the director, right? Um, they direct and, and, and produced it. And like, probably this was, since it's like a smaller film, like probably mostly their vision. Like this is something that is, you know, at least presented within the veil of the auteur. So like you get this vision of like someone who does the thing and then you say like, okay, well I have the visual, but if I don't have the words with it, do I really understand what this auteur is doing? And can I really comment on it? That's a perfectly valid question, both there and in the novel and in all these places where like the creator has like this um, direct sort of like control over how you experience the work, right? Uh, that's very typical of art. Um, however, if you're talking about video games, you're talking about this sort of like much more destabilized problem where, you know, I can play a non-translated video game. I, I've done it before. It's weird like it's sort of like it's it gets to be difficult with menus and stuff like that and weird I mean in the sense of like you kind of end up in these situations you can't quite parse um not weird in terms of like oh this is wacky but weird in terms of like okay like I just there's a limit to what I can do and obviously text heavy games things like that pretty tough but shooters right like top-down shooters easy enough to play um you could probably play an FPS in uh, without translation you could you could play an action game without translation. I imagine you could play a Dark Souls without translation. Like, it wouldn't be that bad. Um, you wouldn't lose that much. Maybe you wouldn't lose anything. Um, but, like, the reason... Like, take Dark Souls, for instance. Like, the reason Dark Souls is interesting, even if you could understand none of the language in it. Say it was, like, written in uh, ancient Sumerian, and we've lost the ways of understanding it, right? Uh, somehow, this is the one document that we have. Um, but no one can translate it. Like, the, the words in Dark Souls don't necessarily, hmm, they do add something, but it's not as if you would not get the game without them, right? Like, it's not as if you could play Dark Souls and say, like, I didn't get the experience because I couldn't read the clues uh, or the, the dialogue or the plot, right? Um, it's just a different kind of inaccessibility. But, of course, this game 
prides itself in inaccessibility. There are games that don't, right? Games that want to tell you a story. But even those games, right, you can sort of like envision yourself uh, embodied within them, playing them, enjoying them, uh, kind of like, you know, rolling through the hills of them, so to speak, right? Like, I don't know if this is like something people who are not my age have ever experienced. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't really pay attention to this kind of video game media in the same way. But when I was a kid, you know, we'd get like Nintendo Power or EGM or whatever, right? And you'd see these screenshots of games before they were translated. And there's something so like powerfully potential there, right? Where you can see yourself playing this game. You don't quite know what it's going to be like. You don't quite know what the dialogue is. And there's a world of possibility there. And so like less about fetishizing the object and more about imagining yourself interacting with something that is not yet codified. I think that's where translation falls for me in terms of thinking about like why you'd prefer the untranslated object, right, in video games. Now, of course, this exists in film as well and exists in novels as well. People think well outside of the box of the text. I think it's a little less defensible in those things. I think it's a little harder to say like, yeah, I decided that the author's work doesn't matter here because I can't understand their language. That's a slippery slope. Um, and I think you're going to end up in some bad places. I think translation is tricky on its face. Like even just like actual translations are tricky. Um, of course, there's hundreds of languages. So like on a, on a certain level, it's necessary. But, you know, it is it is a tricky and complicated and messy kind of field. I know it's that way in video games as well. Localization teams are heroes for like trying to like work through this stuff. Um, I give all the credit in the world to localization teams, to flavor text writers on MMOs. There's like so much good work going in that is, you know, one part translation and one part um, actual sort of like creation of a new text in and of itself. Um, but there is at the same point, right? Like go back to that metaphor I just I just kind of dashed out there, but probably should spend a little more time with this idea of translation being in part you know, translation as we understand it, but then also in part rewriting, right? Writing something in English from, I'm thinking about uh, Roberto Bolaño's 2666, you know, I've only read it in translation. I can't speak, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, very adept in Spanish or Portuguese, or I'm not sure what he wrote it in actually. I'm not sure the language that he wrote it in initially. Let's find out. Um, let's find out together. What language is 2666 written in? think Spanish, but it, yeah, okay, it was Spanish. Um, for a second, I just, I, I panicked. I thought he wrote in Portuguese. Um, but like, you know, Spanish is uh, a language I can read some of. That is too complicated a text for me to read in Spanish. There's no way. So I wrote, I read it in translation. And in part, I got Bolaño's text. And in part, I got a text that tried to capture the essence of Bolaño's text in English, which involves some, it, it's not fabrication. It's like a way of conveying ideas that don't naturally exist between languages in a different language, right? Um, the most, you know, we, we, there are a million things where they're like, oh, like, you know, Russian has a word for like when you step in mud and you feel cold. Um, you know, people love that stuff on the internet, but like, it's also true, right? Like there are words in other languages that mean something that cannot be clearly conveyed to another language without some sort of like creative work. And of course that's true in video games as well. Of course that's the whole point of localization teams, right? Like if I make a joke about, um, you know, uh, highway traffic in Atlanta or something like that, right? It, 
that's maybe going to fly throughout the United States. Probably not. Probably not super well outside of the, you know, the people who have driven in Atlanta. But it's certainly not going to play like if I send it over to like Liechtenstein or something like that. Right? Like it's not or like, I mean, be more serious. Like if I sent my video game over to Japan or I sent it to, to Europe or something like that. Right. Like that joke is not going to play. So you got to say like, OK, well, what's what do we do about this joke? How do we make it like less niche to the particular thing? Like how can we make it you know funny to people in the particular world that we or the particular society, excuse me, not world that we are um, selling this game to? And so localization is this sort of rewriting, is, is, is a really careful sort of like translation and creation of a new text. But at the same point, right, like the, the really unique thing about video games, and I, I don't think I would have gotten to this if I didn't actually do this sort of like talking through kind of thing. So thank you for letting me do that for you. Um, well, for me, I guess. Um, you know, the, the, the really careful analysis of language sort of obscures the fact that the game itself, right? Like the visual and mechanical elements of the game itself are there untranslated because there's no need to translate them, right? Like the actual actions you're doing in the game, the actual things you are performing are essentially without language, right? They are a visual sort of like motion-based language. And of course, there's all sorts of ways in which this gets translated as well, um, you know, within, um, you know, the the people making their games accessible uh, for colorblindness, people making their games accessible for, um, you know, he the hearing impaired, the vision impaired. Um, there's all sorts of ways this gets translated as well. But like in the world of just like language to language translating, which is what we're kind of focusing on now, there is this sense of continuity in the actual gameplay, right? Between the two languages that it, there's a, there's a, uh, it's very hard to get past that. It's very hard to sort of imagine a game as being different between two places because it has that linkage of gameplay itself. You see what I mean? Like you can imagine Final Fantasy VII, right, in the original Japanese and in English, and I'm sure it's very different. Like there's a lot of controversy over that translation. You cannot really imagine the game looking different though, right? It plays the same way. It looks the same way. The mechanics are the same. The way the characters move are the same. The way the characters look are the same. Like these little things, right? Like to, to the point that people like freak out when characters have slightly different costumes between the Japanese and American releases or something like that. Like there is this continuity that's expected and understood as part of the contract between creator and player when it comes to video games. And that is like something that unlike film, unlike novels, unlike, uh, you know, literature, unlike written, unlike the written word, unlike music, right? Like that's something, well, actually music, no, music is, is like that where you have the tonal elements, which are things that need no translating. Um, but games marry, no, that's, that's right. Games marry the sort of like untranslatable with the translatable in the same way music does. It's simply that we are so, we are so desperate to understand the story of a game that we often rely upon translation in order to play it. There's a way in which leaning into not the fetishization, but the sort of like unknown quality of a language you cannot understand. Um, and then a language that is not translated would actually benefit some games, right? Certain games. No, like, you know, visual novels would be very difficult, uh, not translated to, to really enjoy because you couldn't follow the story. And then that's why we say read visual novels instead of just like play visual novels. Right. Um, 
and and certain other games like you know RPGs probably would not be quite as enjoyable. Um, but there's this level of like wanting to know the full story that is keeping people from experiencing games in the way that say we experience like Ein Klein and Nacht music, which like. Um, if it ever has lyrics, it's usually in German, like, you know, or like French music or Japanese music or whatever, right? Like I, I can listen to, um, uh, to, to music from all over the place and I don't need it translated for me. Um, I still want my video games translated. So why, when the underlying mechanic of like something that is untranslatable, but, um, common, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of like. Uh, visual shorthand in video games the for, for motion, for control, for things like that, and the sort of audible shorthand in music. Again, sort of like uh, leaving aside for the moment because we're focusing specifically on language, but of course there's like a million nuances you could give to this when you're actually thinking about making music for the hearing impaired or making video games for the visually impaired or the hearing impaired or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And those are like totally fascinating questions and important questions to ask just not in the scope of this 20 minutes. Um, yeah, like I think I think there's something to be said for the way music kind of approaches this translatable moment or this 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 need for translation. And, um, uh, you know, it doesn't succeed completely. There are people who um, would just listen to music from, I mean, we could even say Japan. Like this is another thing that has been uh, absolutely fetishized from Japan, this idea of like J-pop and stuff uh, because it sounds, you know, Japanese instead of American. Uh, but on the other hand, there is a long and storied tradition of classical music of sort of like um, rock of, of I mean, certainly of like, I mean, 80s sort of like pop. You get a lot of German in there, a lot of German. Um, and like, you know, even to this, like to this moment, like, you know, I, I can remember buying thrash records that had, that were from like South America. And it, it just rocked. Like it was really good. Like I didn't really care that it was in Portuguese or Spanish. Like it was fine. Like it, it totally got what they were going for. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for music's ability to manage that the video games have not quite gotten. Um, the idea of needing a translation for something like say hollow Knight. like hollow Knight, for instance, is a good example. Why do we need that? Like, can't we just have some sort of like, can we enjoy the game without the language? And if we can't enjoy the game without the language, then what is the sort of pleasure of seeing something untranslated versus the kind of like codified, you know, regulated appeal of having it with the story and the gameplay fully, you know, given to you as the translators have been able to, you know, interpret the intention of the original author. I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's an open question. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed this. I, I definitely did. It helped me a lot. Um, I hope it helped you as well. Uh, and um, yeah, please, you know, email me with any thoughts, uh, critiques, anger, uh, you know, declarations of admiration. Uh, all are all are welcome. Uh, I'm at trevor.strunk at gmail.com. Uh, you can also email nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, uh, interviews will keep going. Don't worry. Um, but some weeks when we don't have them, we'll do this instead. And I think this is nice. Um, it was really nice talking to y'all and I hope I get to talk to you soon. Go listen to hundreds, hundreds of dead pixelated bodies, um, by, uh, Sean McTiernan. It is very good. Um, that's all. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. 
it's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.